0: Hi, welcome to the Passion and Purpose Podcast with myself, your host, Louis Giglio. I'm so glad that you're here for this episode. And I'm just telling you ahead of time, this conversation is loaded. Loaded with power, loaded with truth, loaded with incredible wisdom. And all of that really is because of the two people that I have the privilege of interviewing today. A lot of you will know them. Some of you, this may be the first time that you get to meet them but their life story is extraordinary. Um, They have been through such a valley, such challenge, had um, so many moments in life where it didn't look like they would make it, but yet they have such a powerful story of the faithfulness of God. I'm talking about my friends Jay and Catherine Wolfe. You might know them on social media as Hope Heals, which was the title of their first book. And they are great friends. They're part of our house at Passion City Church. And they are collectively maybe the strongest voice for God on the planet right now. And you'll see why that is as we get into the conversation together. We recorded this conversation in the same little window when my book came out, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And so you'll hear that woven through a lot of our conversation. How do we win the battle of our minds? How do we think? right thoughts? How do we create pathways on which we can walk on God's truth? And they're doing that beautifully and doing that powerfully. So I know you're going to enjoy getting to know them. I know you're going to love the conversation today. So let's jump right into it. Welcome to my conversation with Jay and Catherine Wolf. I am so excited today to have the opportunity to sit down with you guys. These are my friends Jay and Catherine Wolfe, and they are great friends to Shelly and me. In fact, we had an amazing dinner a few weeks ago that we're still laughing Mm -hmm. about. We can maybe get into that later. But you are (laughs) better known as Hope Heals, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because you have names but yet,
1: yeah, people call me the, hope every day in call
0: the me social up. media space. <laughs> it's hope heals. You have an Instagram account, hope heals, and <laughs> I'm always like wondering: is that what? What's the purpose behind having the joint Instagram account? And do you miss not having your own channel mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, this is what I want to talk about," or "This is what I want to uh, point people toward"? So, how'd you get to hope heals? And why do you stay with it as
2: one Instagram account? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, the people want
2: to know. I think um, marriage sanctification. First <laughs> off, no, I mean um, <laughs> seriously. I, I was thinking, um, Catherine and I have birthdays that are three weeks apart, and so we got married. She's actually three weeks older than me. Just I know everybody thinks I'm like 64. I'm actually 39. <laughs> I'm not <a> even <laughs> yet. And anyway, we <laughs> used to um, have these big parties because you might as well throw your own party. You know what you like, and you know what you want to do, and. Yet we didn't want to have two different parties that we were going to make all of our friends come to. So we said, let's just combine forces. And so I think from the beginning of our marriage, there was sort of this sense of interdependence. Little did we know <laughs> where that was heading right. to uh, caregiving and patient roles. And, and you know, our life uh, hopefully doesn't go into too much codependency, but it's really more interdependency. And it's, um, you know, the overflow when we think it, that the the product is is bigger than the sum of its parts. So we sort mm-hmm. of lean into that. but. You know, if you want to hear our individual, we, we're, we're wired very differently and have a lot of different thoughts than each other, but we sort of funnel it. Who Hope speaks
0: most on the Hope Heals Instagram account?
2: Um Well, I would say I probably do, more than people would know. I would write something like, hi, this is Jay, and then, you know, all the comments, oh my gosh, Catherine, <laughs> just, no uh, uh. I'm like, well, I don't even say it like th- like I'm talking third person or something, and um we met a couple, and actually, he's an astronaut, actually, um. Oh, gosh, Gabby Gifford's husband. I'm Mark Kelly. Name. Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly. So we were honored in an event with him, and, and his wife was um, just mortally injured in the shooting. She was an mm-hmm. Arizona congresswoman. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he just stuck by her side. He's this incredible, you know, guy in his own right. But yeah. um, they were— This
1: was like 2011, Yeah, maybe 10 or 11 when yeah. we met
2: him. And he wrote a book, you know, called Gabby, and it said, you know, it's her, um, her heart—, heart but through his words. And so we just kind of thought that was so precious to say, you know, we're in this so together that like we can kind of step in where words fail. And um, it can be, you know, she's the muse and from her heart, but you know, maybe I can help put the words (laughs) together. But Catherine's the front of the house all the way, and I'm kind of the back (laughs) of the house and hope you'll, those people think I'm, you know, a lawyer. You guys have
0: spoken at Passion. (laughs) Uh, You've spoken at Passion City Church. You've been uh, part of everything we've done in our organization, but you've also Mm -hmm. spoken all over the country at events, and you're very well known in the Christian community, but I'm guessing some people who are listening right now don't know the Hope Heal story. So Jay, I want you to take us back to ground zero. So Uh where were you? on the day that Mm -hmm. this Hope Hill story began. And for someone who doesn't know anything about the story, can you take us right back to that moment and maybe what the first 24 hours were like Hmm. um, from that moment?
2: Sure. So Catherine and I um, are from the South. We married and uh, met at Sanford University and then moved to L.A. just to sort of pursue dreams. I was going to Pepperdine Law School Catherine had done some work in the entertainment industry, and so it was just, let's do something nuts, you know? And we're 22, just stupid as can be, you know, in terms of just the reality <laughs> of the world. Like, yeah, we going to go to yeah. L.A. and just conquer the entertainment industry. And um, and yet, really, our hearts were just being drawn out there, I think, by the Lord, to take us on this journey that would change our story and to a hospital that would save Catherine's life. But out of yeah. the clear blue, we, we'd had a baby, you know, I was at the last three weeks of my law school career. We had all of this possibility just right in our grasp, and uh, I came home in between literally some of my last classes of law school to print a paper that I had procrastinated on because by the third year of law school, you know, you're just as overt <laughs> as can be. But during that window, we lived on campus at Pepperdine, um, Catherine literally called out to me and said, I don't know what's happening, but I'm like, I don't feel right, and she basically fell out onto the ground and started throwing up. We've got a six-month-old baby in the other room. And, you know, I think she had kind of felt a little funky, but not, there was no history, no, you know, warning signs. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of the clear blue, she just called out. And thank God I was there because otherwise she would not, she was paralyzed pretty much instantly. Yeah. Called the ambulance. They came quickly and and realized something was critically wrong with her and took her to UCLA, which was just, you know, the ER of the day. And, um, you know, I followed the ambulance down there just like kind of in shock that maybe I grew up in a pastor's home, you know, so you realize bad things happen to good people. So you're grabbing
0: um, up your six-month-old. Yeah, grab the baby and, and we just rushed down. Getting the, in the car following this ambulance mm-hmm. to UCLA.
2: We rushed down the Pacific Coast Highway and, you know, just wherever they're taking her, I, I come around the corner and I see this giant sign, UCLA Hospital, Best Hospital in the West. Uh, and, and the number three hospital in the whole country. And this is where they just happened to take her and um you know the the neurosurgeon who just again happened to be on call dr gonzalez was known for taking these critical cases that nobody would touch with a 10-foot pole because of liability and i'm a lawyer and like that wasn't a good sign you know and and yet he just couldn't get this baby particularly out of his head and he wanted to give this mom a second chance and um our our church community gathered. We were really involved, um, kind of against all odds because you know, law school is pretty all in, entertainment industry is all in, but we had really just wanted to plant our lives in the church. And we found a church called Air Pres. We were the leaders of kind of the young marriage group there. And, you know, we had we knew nobody when we moved to LA, but we had this sort of family that just materialized when we needed them the most. And and again, the body of Christ, that's what it does. And I think we underestimate sort of that gift we give each other when the bottom falls out that we get to incarnate sort of this body of Christ, yeah. and um, it was life-changing. And, you know, prayed and read through the Bible that night and just also had just like this time of communal just withness that we often, you know, we shy away from death or hard things and we don't want to enter in, but our community just, they showed up and they stayed all night. And frankly, they stayed, they took 24-hour shifts for three straight weeks, sleeping in the waiting room just to say, we're with you. We're don't even. we not even going to see Kath, we may not even see you, but we are with you. And um, that was really just the theme of that whole time. And the next morning, you know, Dr. Gonzalez said um, she's alive uh, and she shouldn't be. And um, we removed part of her brain to save her life. We did a lot of damage. We scraped her brain stem to get all the blood out. Like her her brain was being squeezed into her spine. It's not, this is not a survivable thing, but I did what I could do. I didn't even look up at the clock and it was 16 hours of microsurgery. Wow. Um, And. She's here, but we don't know what if she's going to wake up or be paralyzed. Or, we don't know, but she's alive, and so you know, we always say March twenty second, uh, April twenty second. Sorry, is Catherine lived day? It's sort of the Easter, you know, morning to the to the day the stroke happened, uh, which is the day before. And we celebrate. We'll be celebrating thirteen years this coming uh, spring. So, wow.
0: Well, from we don't know if we're going to make it through the night or another day, and then here we are, yeah, sitting here together. Yeah. You guys are an amazing. Stunning couple. You have two boys now, and you have this uh, massive platform that God has given you to speak to people Mm -hmm. around the world, not just people who are coming through hard times, but uh, people in life about what life is all about. And you're the authors of two books. Uh, The latest is called Suffer Strong, Mm -hmm. which is—we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But how just— Think about that arc from night one, first 24 hours, your people are camped out with you to now you're sitting here today uh, laughing and enjoying life and yeah. speaking to people around the world. How do you capture that in a phrase or a thought?
1: Pain this platform <laughs> pretty clearly that um, what has been the worst, hardest, saddest thing ever has actually been this powerful raising-us-up element that is true in all of our stories and lives, I believe, that pain somehow is, as C.S. Lewis says, a microphone, that people want to listen and see how you respond when life gets hard. And that's absolutely what's happened in our story. Louis, it's really think cute to think about um, I don't know how many times you've interviewed us at this point. I couldn't guess, but it's been a whole lot. And um, from the very beginning of you interviewing us at Passion Conference in 2017 and then speaking at Passion City Church and several times at Passion City Church and The Grove and other things in other places around the country, Mm -hmm. for sure, Mm -hmm. there is the sense that people are tuning in to to you and thus us once in a while to hear um, encouragement in the Lord when they're walking through life and there's tragedy, they want to help make sense of it. And I don't know, there's just, you know, while you would love to listen to that incredible Bible teacher who has it all together— you're just so much more clinging to the words of somebody. I mean, in my life, Johnny Erickson and Tada has been this person that I want to hear what she has to say. How does she get out of bed in the morning? And for those who don't know who she is, she had a diving accident at 17 years old and has lived her life and is quadriplegic in the wheelchair. And to me, voices who are deeply suffering and responding in deep faith are intriguing, and you want to to do that with mm. your lives, so you're like, tell me what they're doing. So I think pain is platform. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we share some uh, common experience in that uh, my dad went through a brain uh, illness, was in a coma, should have died multiple times, had a mm. brain surgery, was disabled as a result of that, and we have, you know, different circumstances and timing, but, you know. There are people listening to us right now who've camped out in the ICU waiting room, yeah. and they know what that feels like, mm-hmm. where you don't leave, you move in. For people sure. are turning lounge chairs into <laughs> you know, beds and yeah. Yeah. bringing blankets and pillows. And you get to know all the families in the ICU right. waiting area over the course of all these weeks. It becomes a community. Right. But a lot of people don't see that. It's kind of like a hidden part mm-hmm. of society. We have mm-hmm. the privilege of having... One of the greatest rehab centers in America, mm -hmm. right down the street from where we're sitting. And so for us, I go down the street from my house, I see people out on the sidewalk in wheelchairs who are recovering Mm -hmm. from diving accidents and all manner of different kinds of things. But a lot of people don't see, or maybe they don't want to see,
1: the community
0: of people (laughs) who you are a part of, which is daily living with the long-term effects Mm -hmm. of something traumatic in their lives. And so talk about that, especially in an image-conscious world.
2: Sure. Mm -hmm. Talk
0: about what it's like to live in the community. Um, Do you guys, I know at your camp you say we serve families with disabilities. Right. So um, for people listening today, is disability an okay word? Um, How do you guys use that vocabulary
2: in your world? So I'd say a couple of things. We, you know, were thrust into this world of disability, like many people are. Some people are, you know, maybe there's a little more of an on ramp to it. Maybe you're born with it. You don't know a lot different. But I think for us, you know, overnight, very type A, you know, able people, Catherine uh, yeah, was taken down to zero, and so, and then you have this layer of people saying, "We're praying for you to get completely healed and well." And then you're kind of recovering and, oops, I'm not just going to walk out of the ICU. I kind of thought I was. And now what do we do? And years later, those visions dry up. And now, you know, we kind of wanted to get out of the wheelchair and, like, go back to normal. And, and yeah. what do we do now? Yeah. And there's a, there, was a, there was years of sort of figuring that out and mourning the loss of that. And it took just sitting across from people with that same story to see the humanity and see the possibility of coming into that community and loving that opportunity rather than rejecting it or trying to fix it or denying it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, this is our Mm -hmm. life, and this isn't by accident. But God has also given us a certain circumstance where Catherine, you know, had this traumatic, horrible thing happen to her brain, and she has a lot of, you know, major disabilities still, but she's able to articulate. She's, I think she's funnier now. (laughs) She lost some of her filters (laughs) and some of her, um, you know, Southern Bell – issues perhaps. And so, you know, but she, and as a couple, we're able to sort of bridge into the non quote unquote, non-disabled community, the typically able Mm -hmm. community and say, guess what? The story of disability is your story too. Wow. Because none of us are able. God made it that that way too, so that we would need each other and we would need him most of all. And, and to see that as an opportunity and not a liability, Mm -hmm. I think is the calling on our life. And we get to do that really tangibly for the disabled community. And I think, you know, you know one disabled person, you know one disabled person. At, at our little camp, which has thir- you know people from 35 states, no less, but we have 33 kinds of disability. Wow. Okay, so we talk about disability. According to the UN and the U.S. Census Bureau, the largest minority group in the world and in the U.S., 20% of the population roughly. But the spectrum is, you know, from genetic disorder to amputation to, you know, stroke to adults, kids, everything in between, right. you know, autism, Down syndrome, whatever. And so we have been humbly able to learn more about that community. We still don't even know that much about it, even though this is part of our life's work. And so even asking, hey, how do you define yourself? I think is totally um, part of this process of just learning with humility and that connects us to each other. Do you, And so for Catherine, like we use the word disabled because that just, that's pretty accurate. You know, some people might want to call themselves handicapable. Cool. That's not (laughs) what we, you know, that's just not the language we use. Totally.
1: people, well, people always say differently. Are differently abled versus Yeah. And that's all great. But like, I like disabled. And as an individual living with in my birth disability, I get to say that for sure. People say all kinds of things. Um,
2: I think most of the time handicap is is reserved maybe for parking spots and not for people. So (laughs) just write that that one down. And also we say uh, person-first language. So Mm -hmm. Catherine is a woman with disabilities or or a person with disabilities. She's not first a disabled person. That is not her key identifier. She's a human. She's an image bearer. And that's
1: important for all. So that's another just
2: kind of a little little angle. But even like our, our friends in the deaf community, like hearing impaired, I thought that was appropriate. But many people who are deaf say no. Um, Doubt you can call us deaf, you know and so just it's, it's a simple well, it's, and humbling. It's, it's just the world asking. we live in
0: right now. and the I think the main issue is that we're friends, you're humans. Yeah, we are humans. Yeah. that's who we are. And all yeah. of us have different kinds of strengths and different kinds of weaknesses, mm. but For we're sure. in a very word specific culture absolutely. right now. So right. we hosted you guys were there as you always are, night to shine. Yeah. And we celebrated oh,
2: yeah. people so with incredible. special needs. Mm -hmm. And then,
0: you know, all of a sudden somebody's like, well, you can't say someone has special needs. And so it's like, wait a minute, we're trying to love human beings. (laughs) That's that's the main thing. And we're trying to recognize that all of us are good at some things Mm -hmm. and all of us are not good at some things. Mm -hmm. And that's not just about the physical realm. It's about everything in our lives. But I do know the thing that that I struggled with the most because my dad's passed away now, but for seven years he was primarily uh, in a wheelchair to mm-hmm. to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. He could walk for a little mm-hmm. season, but that was more, more tricky than yeah. anything. <laughs> oh, gosh. So totally. walking was a real, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with the walking side of things, but I was cheering him on, mm-hmm. but that's where all the bad things happened. Mm-hmm. But we would go out in public, go to a restaurant, go to the mall, go to wherever. Mm-hmm. And I I just could see it on the faces of people. They didn't want to face it. Not everyone. I don't want to look and notice that there is a person right next to me in a wheelchair. I I don't know how to handle that. Don't know what to to do with that. And I want you just to speak to that in a very highly image-conscious world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Being in a wheelchair is hard for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, for sure. And so
0: here you have... On the cover of your book,
2: <laughs> yeah, an amazing
0: photograph. No
1: hiding it. We'd like
0: to of, be a little bit of disruptors. I. Yeah, uh, we'd of like you, like you guys with the wheelchair, yeah. which I think is one of the most beautiful covers of a book. Period. And I think maybe the best title of a book. Do you, period. Do you know who the <laughs> creative you.
1: director of that cover is? Uh, do you know? Because she's your wife. <laughs> 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 Shelly Guglia was our creative director there. That's true. She's yes. true. my creative director also. She's uh, Um, Um, But to answer your question, Louie, the wheelchair bums people out like crazy all around. It's not exactly a symbol in most minds of like strength. Thus, um, we kind of like putting a wheelchair on the front of a suffer strong book because this is a new picture of strength because there may be suffering, but there could also be strength. We kind of like the good hard thought that life is both good and hard at the very same Mm -hmm. time. There is suffering and there is strength. And the wheelchair can isolate for sure. But what I choose to see is that my wheelchair also can open doors like crazy because it breaks down walls. It shows people immediately that all oh, is not well in this story. Mm-hmm. When they see Jay wheeling me into a room, they see this couple that's, you know, not 85 yet, although we feel that way. <laughs> and um, they're probably going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And they see, you know, for a long time, I would have a baby in my arms. John's five now. So he's getting a little old for that. But this couple with a baby here is, you know, living a hard story. Right. And so it makes it really relatable because everybody's loving a hard story. Everybody's got hard stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think it makes it relatable also as you re-narrate it. I love the idea that the church is supposed to re-narrate the world to the world. Yes. Like That's part of what wow. we we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Like, this is dark, but here's how you should see this story, right? Yeah. And so even with the wheelchair on the cover, we wanted to say, like, yes, she has a wheelchair but guess what? You got one too. It's just on the inside. Maybe it's invisible. What's your invisible wheelchair is a big theme of the book. And that could be, again, kind of a bummer, except we're going to finish the story and re-narrate it this way, that the wheelchair is this vehicle of freedom for somebody who can't walk to be in the world, a world not made for them. And so maybe, just maybe that invisible wheelchair could be your vehicle to freedom in this world, not made for you either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not to put too fine a point on that, but it's like, this is the picture Yes. This is not perfectly together and independent and able and mm-hmm. you know, just this westernized American dream. This is the reality. Whether you want to look at it that way or not, you know, you're going to find suffering. Most of us who live long enough will be disabled at some point in our life yes. and require someone else to help us. And so we just wanted to offer that, um, again, almost subversive look at this to say, this is the opposite of probably what you want, but it is what you have already. And yet it's not the end. It's this way in which you can find freedom. And uh, just to, to declare that with a lot of joy and also with with this bittersweet through line. I mean, we're not trying to say like suffering, like
1: awesome. Oh, like, it's, it's amazing. Like, it feels so good. You know, it
2: took, it's taken years mm. to get to this open-handed sort of receiving of Loster, this reality. Yeah. and um, mm-hmm. But yet, you know, as Catherine said, there is in this um, life and in the kingdom of God, this duality that we hold, this tension that we will experience suffering, but that there is strength because of what God is doing through it, that it's not one or the other. And we like to lean into that paradox. And plus, Catherine loves good alliteration. So Suffer Strong, it was. I'm sure our publisher was like, cool, like we'll put that in the pile of the ones that aren't going to sell anything because who wants to buy suffering? Well, I wondered that. Was there
0: a pushback and did you have to fight for that in a sense? Because I think to put the word suffer on the front of a book, is yeah. probably not what Target and Walmart and whoever and whoever is mm-hmm. thinking. Oh, this is what people want. You know, people <laughs> yeah. want to yeah. suffer sure. well. But at the yeah. end of the day, I feel personally like, and I've said this to you privately and I've said it publicly, that it's maybe the most
2: powerful message on the planet right now.
1: Mm. Well, well um, if we'll we'll you give look you a big seat. cut of
2: the royalties, you've been. Probably the biggest cheerleader we have, <laughs> Louie, thank you, and Shelly. So
1: I know, your name's on the cover, Louie, forward oh, yeah. by Louie You wrote Louis the forward. Exactly, um, So it's, um, it's very special. I think, too, we wanted,
2: to, we wanted the book, you know, you have about one second to get a potential reader or buyer's interest. And so we could have said, you know, The Good Hard Life or, you know, something a little more palatable. But I think we really wanted to strike that sort of dissonance. Wait, suffer strong, like- and it wasn't suffering strong, which some people say, you know, sort of that that old Apple commercial, think different, like uh, think differently oh, wow. is really the right, but even right. just that subtle um, syntax, not to get too, into, but you know, suffered strong, um, hopefully has caught people's eye and hopefully will continue to, especially people just wondering how in the world they're going to live this life they never imagined they'd right. be living.
0: Okay. So there's a question in the middle of this conversation in the middle of your lives that to me, it's the Mount Everest of Jay and Catherine Wolf, and you have said multiple times that this is God's plan. A yes for your lives. Yes, mm-hmm. and when you say that, you are opening up, you know, Pandora's box of theological for opinion sure. because people say God doesn't cause suffering; He allows it. Other people say He doesn't allow it. We just live on a broken planet, and right. it's mm-hmm. just part of. And parcel of what happens to people. Totally. But it's definitely not God's plan mm-hmm. or in God's purpose for right. anything bad to happen to any of his children, mm-hmm. or yes. anyone for that matter. Yes. And yet you're coming out, not like down, you know, this lane over here of ambiguity, but you're making mm-hmm. a very bold statement. This mm-hmm. is God's plan A for our lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it wasn't being a lawyer in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. it wasn't LA, it yeah. wasn't that at all. All It It was this. Is that what you're saying?
1: That is exactly what we're saying. We feel so deeply that God has assigned our lives to us while we are on earth, that we are all very much on assignment, that there are not mistakes. God didn't mess up here. This is exactly what God wanted for my story, in that He, of course, in His sovereignty, knows the big picture. You know, I see our lives as like a story God is writing. Within a story, there are distinct chapters, and some include hard suffering. But it's a big-picture story that we can't understand. And even in my very, very lowest, worst moments of wondering if God made a mistake by leaving me on planet Earth, I can remember a deep sense, and I didn't hear God's voice or anything, but like a real powerful awakening of scripture I'd known for many years that God was encouraging me that somehow you cannot see the big picture here, that I am at work way beyond anything you you can't see up. You don't know what is happening. But honestly, Catherine, you don't need to. You just need to trust that I've got this and I've got you for your whole life. Your plan A is right at the tip of your nose. This is exactly where I've called you. Mm
2: -hmm. I think, too, you know, this has come with a lot of tears and pain, and I want to always caveat that. So it's not just like, you know, you're just straight out of the gate. There's this sort of sense because people are going through hell right now. And I think that's why we need this sort of vision of heaven. (laughs) And I don't pretend Mm -hmm. like that is a one-size fits all vision. I mean, we have our story and we can't apologize for the details of it and the specifics of it. And it also took us a while to get to that place too. You know, Catherine would feel so horrible that she's ministering to these women whose husbands left when they had a stroke, but hers didn't. So is she allowed to even talk about that? Is it going to make them feel... And you know, over time we just said, this is what we've received from God and we want to be the best stewards of it that we can.
1: And I'm not going to feel guilty about how mine played out, which yeah. always sounds funny when I said oh, I've dealt with a lot of guilt in ministry and how good my life is. Yeah.
2: And we yeah. want to, um, you know, be thoughtful about how we love people and, and be really, really, I mean, just speaking of Instagram, anything we publish is through a tight lens. It is probably, you've probably spent 8,000 hours on stupid Instagram <laughs> posts, just making sure that this is as thoughtful as we can be to point people. Towards hope hurtful. in Christ. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're just, I heard it, Tim Keller, same one time, and it just struck me deeply. Again, you know, PCA. So whatever you're there, and that's um, an expression too of somebody. Yeah, cut
1: that, cut that. Oh my gosh, cut what? PCA.
2: No, I'm just saying, like that's a that's a, a school of thought as well. I love Tim Keller's teaching; it's been transformational for us. But he said sometimes we let God off the hook too easily, in terms of what He's doing through the avenues we would never have chosen Him to work through. And I was just struck by that, and I thought, wow, like. God, I, I believe you have the best for us. Mm. But I believe, too, that you may know the best avenue for us to get to that best. You know, And maybe that includes yes. stripping a lot of things away that would be distracting for us, um, offering us this upended life for us to see your upside-down kingdom more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I want to lean into that. I just see so many people who spend their whole life lamenting the life they had and not seeing the life right in front of them. And so whether God allowed or chose or wanted, like, this is your life. Right. So what are you going to do with it? Mm. And it's going to be shorter and probably different than you thought. But will you maybe even get to a place where you can love it and find God in the middle of it? Mm -hmm.
0: A friend of mine said a few months back, um, I don't want a God or to believe in a God who would want to cause suffering. Mm-hmm. even if it was for a good outcome. Mm-hmm. And I was like immediately drawn back to the cross. And I thought, uh-huh. we we have a story of faith, of hope, of eternity, of beauty, of resurrection, of yeah. transformation, but all of it hinges on the fact yeah. that there was suffering in our story, that mm-hmm. Jesus sure. is called the suffering servant. Right yeah. yes. And the moment that <laughs> set me free was a moment of suffering that God ordained mm-hmm. and chose. Mm-hmm. I think the scripture says it was man's design, right. but God was the architect of it mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it's not beyond God, obviously, to use hard things, painful things, and even death at times to mm-hmm. bring about the eternal beauty, Mm. that transformational power that all of us really need.
1: Absolutely. And you know what is so powerful to think about? Not only is the cross and the death of Jesus, but then the days leading up to Easter morning. Not exactly all pretty Easter lilies and Sunday dresses, a dark sad cave with a body it's probably cold it's terrible it's night there's deep darkness which is so applicable to our lives it's a true sadness a depth before this breaking free of something so beautiful. And that imagery has really encouraged me that there is a darkness mm-hmm. that can come that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent in our stories. And that three days, he was silent, but he was so at work.
2: Yeah. And, we, and, you know, we want to commune with all the wonderful attributes of the resurrection and the way of Jesus and all that, but we don't want to commune with the suffering. And uh, it stands to reason we're missing out so- on something vital if we if we miss out on that part of a savior who is personified in sacrifice of himself for us. And I think, um, you know, the the metaphors are all around. So it's interesting. I mean, in in human terms, yes, it's personal and it's hard to sort of accept that maybe suffering is part of a story, of drawing us into. The the true nature of Christ. Mm. Um, But I I think about, you know, we were in California forever and the winemaking country, it has some of the most, and obviously in scripture too, some of those powerful metaphors of the, they call it a very hard vintage. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, literally taste this incredible depth of flavor and incredible fruit when the year was full of drought and struggle and the Mm -hmm. vines were tested. And it's just like it's just a it's an it's just a reminder. I think God has all these little reminders all around that this experience that feels like the end is going to be the beginning of something you've never experienced before. Yeah,
0: but no matter what the vintage, every time there's something they called the crush,
2: mm. right? Yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. also part of it. The metaphor, right. it's powerful. Yeah, I mean, like there's no there's no cup without a crushing
0: first. Mm. So let me ask you what is somewhat of a hypothetical question, but and if you don't want to answer this, I would understand. But do you think—obviously, we all three, we are friends, and so we believe in the supernatural power of God. We've seen it. We believe it. We expect it. Mm -hmm. Our God Mm -hmm. is a miracle-working God. Do you think more people would come to know Jesus if you had an instantaneous miracle today— Catherine was completely healed of every disability in an instant, or do you think more people will come to know Jesus if that doesn't happen?
1: Um, I think very, very strongly that no, that this is absolutely what is most powerful, that the Quote unquote, not healed Catherine's body is actually what leads people further into relationship with Jesus because everybody's living out a picture of a broken something in their story. Then, how unrelatable is it if I got a full healing? Because we're outwardly full healing, I mean, because we're all coping with. A lot of internal stuff. Most people just don't see what's going on inside of our heads and hearts. And this is a representation, a picture of that. And goodness, I I, I can't even imagine at this point, had I been fully physically healed in those early years. I mean, I'm sitting here, Louis 12 surgeries later with significant falls, broken bones, many late nights at the hospital. It's just a lot of really hard suffering post-strokes and surgery. And, um, you know, it's hard to even imagine what would our lives have been like had I just walked out of the hospital and carried on. It's I can't really fathom it now. But the just depths of these past 12 and a half years um, have meant some of the best years of my life. And that's so crazy um, because pre-stroke was so easy. <laughs> and, um, and yet the, the closeness of Jesus just coming into my nightmare and helping me move forward... And giving us a special and unique—it's mm-hmm. so much more than what the word treasure could mean. Just a mm-hmm. a toolkit that is enchanting <laughs> to walk through life with mm-hmm. to cope, and um, just what we've gained from something so awful yeah. um, cannot can, enough cannot be said about mm-hmm. that. I say that so tenderly because, obviously, for many years, five for me, I could not see up from down and didn't know how I could live on planet Earth this way. So years later, I can say um, that this has been the greatest gift of my life. But um, as you all well know, Louie, because I was texting you and Shelly from the hospital a few months ago. It took a really, really bad fall. I really hurt my leg, tore my ACL, had to have surgery. And um, even coming up and out of that, um, I do have this sense of, of course I'm going to be okay because God has never abandoned me through all of these nightmares through the years. And he's not going to start now. I know too much. And that is Mm. the beauty of, hard things in many ways, is Mm. you see, oh, I did get through that with the power of Jesus propelling me forward Mm -hmm. in this hard story. And that gives you courage for the next struggle. That's right.
0: You guys talk a lot about Habakkuk 3, Mm -hmm. which is um, a very um, ironic text. You know, everything's going wrong, yeah. yet the prophet says, but I'm still going to praise God. I'm Mm going to put my hope in God. And you actually have the Hope Heals version. (laughs) We're not rewriting the Bible, but you have the the Hope Heals version (laughs) of Habakkuk 3. And Mm -hmm. um, do you you know it by heart?
1: For sure. (laughs) Well, the actual passage says, "Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So in May 2009, I had been inspired by a lady who was discipling me pre-stroke who had dealt with infertility and rewritten that passage to fit her situation. So I, for some reason did that same thing of, I'm going to take this text and rewrite it. Mm -hmm. So the Hope Heals version, as Louis Giglio coined, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, from May of 2009, where I was really, really in a bad situation. I couldn't eat yet, couldn't walk yet. I mean, it was really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote, though I cannot walk, and I'm confined to a wheelchair. Though my face is paralyzed, and I cannot smile. Though I am extremely impaired and cannot take care of my own baby boy, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Mm. And the truth is, I don't totally know where that came from. It just seems bizarre in some ways I would do that and so clearly identify huge tragic deficits and Mm. all of it. But there was a sense of like, I'm preaching to my own heart. I'm encouraging myself with the truth I already know. And I'm going to see it in black and white and say, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord. And in a way, it's like, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I'm going (laughs) to say, yes, this is it. I'm rejoicing in the Lord when it looks like nothing is coming up roses here. This is a nightmare. And the coolest thing, obviously, is I rejoice in the Lord then and today and every day in between. And, um, you know, all of that has dramatically changed, and none of that has dramatically changed. I do eat food, I do kind of walk, sort of. I do kind of take care of my kids, although one hand doesn't work. So everything is better. And yes for sure. But everything is not better. Yeah. And yet I'm still rejoicing in the Lord. And I got to say, it's so working. Mm. <laughs> like, oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> I think that's so true. I think early on, it was, um, it was everything in front of us that we couldn't change. But what we could change was what was inside of us. And that was our response wow. to everything in front of us, right? And imploring God to help us draw a line in the sand and say, it doesn't matter what's on this side but I'm going to choose today to rejoice, not like, and this is going to change everything forever. I don't know what's going to be next. And honestly, there's been some really hard stuff that we never saw coming. You know, on the other side of the stroke, you kind of assume you get a pass for the rest of your life or something because you've already been through hard suffering and that's not how it works. And um, yet it was just this sort of line in the sand to say, we are going to choose this. And I think so often with our, our faith, we feel kind of guilty if we don't just naturally really want to choose it or do it, you know, or we're just not already feeling all of that. And even in marriage, we've related a lot of the same ideology that there is this connection between our heart and our body and our actions and our minds, right? We are embodied souls. And so um, when we choose to do the thing that's going to lead us to joy, even if we're not feeling joy, maybe even if we're not feeling gratitude or wanting God right now to say, I'm gonna step forward one step today in faith to say, I'm I'm gonna choose no matter what to have joy. I'm gonna choose to be loving in my marriage even though I'm mad or upset or I don't want to be. I don't feel anything like that, but I'm still going (laughs) to embody this choice of what I know I want for my life. And over time, I think God honors that little step of faithfulness by, by, um, helping us feel that too, you know, and it's not a one and done, but it's just, it's so cool that it, you don't have to feel it before you do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, that's been a whole lot of our life. I mean, it's just, we're not always feeling it. We're human. We're tired. We're not some, you know, I always, I don't people ever think, you know, well, you're just like some, you know, anomaly crazy, (laughs) you know, like positive. And yeah, we've been wired in certain ways that have, Helped us continue to just do, it, do this life, but like it's a hard intentional daily choice to do something maybe that is the opposite of what we are feeling. Well, being sometimes.
0: married is hard. Yep. A yeah, having kids is hard. Living mm-hmm. uh, in the world we live in right now is hard. Yeah, so you got hard things even if you don't have the circumstance of
1: Seriously? the hope heal story. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think sometimes people would look at you guys and go, man, your, your message is so powerful, you're so hopeful, you're so positive, you're doing so much good for other people, you have a camp where you're inviting all these families to come and you serve them so well, you speak, you write, you're all over the map in, in the Christian culture and in culture at large. You guys have a big platform in places outside the church. To tell your story, but yet in the middle of that, you still, I'm guessing, have like arguments and oh yeah, fights oh, and gosh. maybe kind of want to I mean, throw something across the room absolutely. every now and then. Or
1: well, I don't you know, know that we throw <laughs> stuff. I tried to throw. <laughs> I only have one hand. Hurt. Maybe that's why that works. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, um, we yeah, we're we're both. Type A, we both are probably control freaks, to be sure. honest. We both like things done our way. We have a lot mm-hmm. stacked against us in terms of our marriage, our family family. Yeah.
2: Well, we're both Just, firstborns too, which is, yeah. somebody was like, oh yeah, firstborn should never get married. I'm like, oh, we're, <laughs> right. we're both firstborns, but thanks for that thumbs up. They said, but the one thing that trumps it is, of course, faith. <laughs> and oh, you're you know, sure. in this shared sort of we, we vision. We think for
1: sure Christian uh, faith trumps all personality styles, everything. That's right.
2: It's a miracle and a mystery. And um, But yeah, I mean, it is extremely hard. And and yet I think it's just, um, you know, this opportunity to sort of open our hands, um, that, that tension, you know, suffer strong being that sort of this rub of like, wait, how can it be both? Like we, we love the vision of just an open-handed, wholehearted life. And that includes our marriage. That includes our calling. That includes our parenting. That includes just being in the world. Like we really want to open our hands to the outcomes because those aren't ours to decide, right. but at the same token that can make us in sort of our flesh be apathetic or check out or not risk or not be all in. So we want to come to whatever God brings us to with our whole hearts, with our whole gifts and joy and excitement and and, and just being all in. But open our hands to what the end is because we know the ultimate end. But you know, I think that tension is just hard and it's hard in marriage. You Do know, you like, know
1: what I think else is so cool that no one in society wants to say is true? Hard times can point you toward each other and not away from each other. Mm -hmm. And that is such a blessing in suffering. And I mean that, that, you know, people always talk about, Or ask me about what I think about, like, beauty issues or body image issues and all these things. And I'm like, I haven't had a whole lot of time to really wrestle with that one. Because even though you see a paralyzed face now, in the early days, I was relearning to eat food. I was relearning to walk. Like, those issues were central. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of true in marriage and family as well. It's like we're trying to keep Catherine from falling off the sidewalk <laughs> and staying, you know, not falling down the stairs. Sure. So we don't have really a rocking fight about yeah. the checkbook or what you know. There's right. just like priorities become. There's clarity and stuff. Right. I guess is what I mean, and that's a gift.
0: In the book, I'm talking about the even though I will. Mindset mm-hmm. and that 's what this text in Habakkuk is, okay. even though even though even though even though, even though i will yeah psalm twenty three even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. fear no evil, and so how how are you fostering that on the daily, because I think mm-hmm. people see the story now, and if i 'm listening to this right now i 'm like, I want what they 've got, I have mm-hmm. hardship, I know what my story is. Yeah. I want what they've got. I want positivity. I want a new outlook. I want to make it. I want to still be here 13 years from now. Um, I want Mm -hmm. what you've got. And moreover, you've got James and John in the story. This is their life. This Mm -hmm. is all they've ever known.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this is their world. How are you helping them not become cynical or jaded Mm -hmm. about God and about life, given Mm -hmm. that this is what they know. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very um difficult balance to navigate because their mommy is extremely impaired. And you know, I can remember James asking questions that would break your heart of, wait why would God not heal you, Mommy? I mean, and that's like when he's first engaging Jesus and understanding Christian faith, and the questions were just really difficult to answer, and, and yet not. I mean, he no. thankfully has a worldview that makes a lot of sense to us now, but it's, it's a moving target mm-hmm. for sure, and yet everything that we teach those little boys And that they're actually seeing in their parents' lives is that things can be so good and so hard at the same time and that there is a beauty and brokenness and bittersweet nature to life that... Must be how they see the world. It can't be it's all gonna be good or it's all gonna be really awful. And like you just gotta suffer till heaven. Or if it's not perfect, then it can't be your one great life. Mm-hmm. That no, it's both. Right. That you can live your best life from a wheelchair, just like your mommy. And you can push your you can push your wife's wheelchair for your whole life and not gonna be a great story. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, You know, we'll show them a picture of our 10th anniversary in Hawaii. And we'll say, (laughs) like, can you believe this? And there's a girl in a wheelchair on the beach in Hawaii. And I'll say, boys, do you see this picture? This picture could be really happy or really sad. Because that girl's in a wheelchair. That's so sad. But if you know she's on the beach in Hawaii, do you still think it's sad? <laughs> and they're looking it. at that picture and going, that's not sad. Mm. And I think re-narrating the world with this is a joy, this is a glory story, changes how they see everything. Mm.
2: And, I, and I think that even if I will becomes even if we will. Mm. You know. And so it's a much stronger connection when you know you're not doing it alone. And Mm -hmm. so the gift of doing this in community um, with our kids, but also with this digital community, I mean, the internet's a pretty unsafe place as we've seen more maybe this year than ever. Um, And yet we still want to just beat the drum to say, we're doing this together and God has allowed us to intersect each other for some reason. And we're going to make this declaration together that we're going to do this and we're going to get under the weight of the world together. Um, because Jesus has done that for us, and um, mm-hmm. man, it just it helps it helps incredibly to have a vision that you know we don't know what else is going to happen in the coming years. I mean, I hope I don't live to a hundred; that feels very old. I feel <laughs> like I'll be, be be done way before then. Uh, but maybe who knows? Anyway, never say never. And yeah. um, between now and the end, like just to have perseverance for this race, knowing mm-hmm. that we're doing it with so many other people, and then with just the witnesses of. Heaven, who've gone before us. I mean, the hard stories. We love Cory Ten Boom, and and that's part of parenting too. Like, just let your kids enter into yeah. the reality of this resilient life in Christ through incredible pain and suffering to mm-hmm. this incredible joy and glory. And um, I mean, we we moved to Atlanta and stayed in this Airbnb that was not great situation. <laughs> oh, we'll just put gosh. it that way. We'll spare you the details, but um, we well, let, we'll spare you the details.
1: Except it was August in Atlanta, and the air conditioning broke. So imagine.
2: Yeah, that's true. But we uh, downloaded the hiding place, which is the story of Corey Timboom. You know, who was um, protecting Jews during Nazi Germany, and and was put in a concentration camp herself as a Christian. And you know, she they realized, wow, the fleas in our concentration camp. We can praise God for them because they're keeping the soldiers out, because they don't even want to be in here. But we'll, we'll get to have a Bible study, with these other women. And wow. just like, wow, can we, <laughs> without being weird, just like allow our kids to say, you know, this story might be better than you think. And um, yeah, um so it's, it's working. Again, they're little dudes. They, you know, do lightsabers and break stuff in the house and <laughs> pick on each other and yeah. make us crazy sometimes. But I think something's sinking in.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the power of your story, and I'm thinking about somebody right now who's on the front end of something tragic and maybe permanent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what, what are the things that you can say to them as they're waking up to the reality, this is my life, mm-hmm. this is going to be our future? Mm-hmm. Uh, God can do a miracle for sure. We'll pray that He will Maybe there'll be a, some medical mm-hmm. breakthrough a yeah. year, 5, 10, 15 First years step. from now. But for now, this is mm-hmm. tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can make it one day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at the least, like I like I said, the, the we are doing this together is so critical. I think so often you get isolated in your pain, and then you're just sort of stuck in this downward spiral. And then you start saying, well, nobody even wants to be with me. Nobody's even come to help me. And it's like, well, that's because you've put yourself away in this place where nobody can reach you even and so to have when the time is right the vulnerability to be back in the world to be back in a community that can love you and care for you and to ask for for that kind of help i mean it ta- it takes a lot of courage and bravery i mean it was about a year i think until we could sort of come back because we were so tender to church even you know because Absolutely. church had been this yes. expression of our life and the possibility of it and it was there was something so painful to almost have to come back and know that our, our highs and lows and our hurts and our fears were all going to be known eventually because that's the way we did church and community.
1: And there was such a sense that God hurt our feelings.
2: Yeah. And we were working through all that, and, and it was a safe place to do it. And we couldn't have done that alone. We needed to do that work together. So, and then further, you know, sometimes you have these hard seasons and horrible um, diagnoses and, and things that happen, and you're in um, an environment with people who are not going to be your cheerleaders a perseverance who are not going to sort of set a vision for what your life could be. And maybe they're going to be scared themselves. Or they're going to be narrating poorly. And you have the right to say, I do not choose you to be on my soul's board of directors. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's somebody who it's going to be a little hard to, to remove them <laughs> from the seat. Um, and, you know, family, and I, there's a lot of dynamics, but I just think to say you have ownership with who you let speak into the deepest places of your life and your pain And maybe it's somebody who you barely know. Maybe it's somebody you've known forever, but that um, it really matters who you allow to to really give you those words that are going to change everything.
1: Absolutely. I think the voices that you tune into in acute seasons of suffering very much are connected Mm. to the outcome and determine how you feel about your story. I can remember after my stroke, Louis, this is creepy. I listened to a ton of Louis Giglio (laughs) tournaments, like a ton. And I can remember YouTubing John Erickson, Todd, anything I could find on her. I'm like, if I'm gonna live my life in a wheelchair, I don't know, listen to somebody else who did it. And anything I could find on YouTube, I mean, for several years, I did that a ton. And I think it rewired my brain. Mm. I mean, I I mean it. Something different happened over time, and that is what everybody can do. There's a lot of mm-hmm. research that we can, in fact, now it's called neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. rewire our brains right. instead of seeing our stories as the victims that it just happened to mm-hmm. us and we're relegated to this. Instead, no. Because of Jesus, we are the overcomers mm. of the story. I heard a really good sermon about this a while back, that we're, we're not just the victim. We're not mm. just the beggar showing the beggar where the bread is. We also have the power, when Jesus Christ is living inside of us, to turn away and do something different mm. in our stories. <clears throat> and that is so powerful. With all of that said... Yeah. Um, when someone is not sure how they're going to get out of bed tomorrow, and someone is not okay from tremendous suffering, this is not the message they need to hear. They need to hear this message. Um, for the first five years after my stroke, um, that's before we started Hope Heals, before anybody was tuned in to anything, long before we wrote a book or anything publicly, we endured a ton um, that no one will ever know. It was very painful. And many surgeries and many waiting rooms and just a lot of suffering. And what I needed so desperately in those seasons were not the, you got this, you're awesome, Catherine and Jay. It was this. So I'm going to say it to you, listener. I can't believe this has happened to your life. I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. Your life blew up and you're going to be okay, but it's really hard. And I am so sorry you are going through this. And, you know, the friends who just gave me the woohoo, you're going to, this is awesome, Catherine, you're amazing. That was like, fell on just, that fell flat. Mm -hmm. People, when there were very few of them who said, I cannot believe this happened to you. It meant so much to me because there is such a time for truth. There is a time to fill people with the good news of what Jesus can do in their lives. But there is also a time to close your mouth and to listen (laughs) and to hug and to be present and give the ministry of tears because that is Mm. actually what they need. The ministry of truth comes later. Mm. Give the ministry of tears. Let people cry and cry with them. And then when the time is right, share truth when they can hear it. That's good.
0: Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, we could uh, have about nine episodes of the Hope Heals <laughs> <laughs> podcast, but I think we're going to find a landing spot here, and I think that's it. You mentioned, Catherine, um, this you know tension that's in the church, and I I don't mind just—you know, it's an elephant in the room sometimes because people are like, why— it's like your son asks you, why isn't God healing? And you mentioned to me a while back that almost every event that you would go to, someone would come up to you and say, I have a word from the Lord. Very sincere people, by the way. This is all, you know, people well-meaning. I have a word from God for you. For sure. Um, God told me, God spoke to me. He wants me to pray for you. And you're going to be healed, you're going to walk, you're going to this, you're going <laughs> to that. Do this
1: day, Louis, every time. <laughs> and
0: that's a regular part of your ministry now, mm. is yeah. the person. And you know they're there, oh, and yeah. you know sooner or later they're coming. <laughs> and I don't belittle that, uh, because that's all probably coming out of the best intention and people who are thinking sure. that they did hear from the Lord. Mm-hmm. But you oftentimes will say back to them when they say, can I pray for you? You'll sort of preempt and say, "Can I pray for you?" Right. And you'll flip the script a little bit and say, instead of you praying for the person in the wheelchair and and the mm-hmm. couple that's going through this hardship, we want to pray right. for you, right? Because you might not say this, but I think you mean you may need it more than me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm getting from you.
1: Very <laughs> uh, and, and
0: so yeah. I don't mean yeah. that in a, in a yeah. you know kind of us versus them no, way, yeah, but no, I why? Why do you have that thinking, and what would you pray for mm-hmm. someone, or what do you think you need to pray most for people who are thinking, oh, my goodness, I need to pray for her?
1: You know, we all we always say um, that we had to make a decision early on how to respond to this bizarre dynamic of people just—I mean, you could have said on stage, you you people— like, my heart is healed. I am living my best life, you know. This is this is okay. And you cannot even be off the stage and somebody's running back saying, I got a word from the Lord while you were speaking that you're going to be running on the beach one day. And, I mean, I always very much take that seriously, but want to—the I the, the way I look at it is— You know what? Maybe they are seeing a vision of heaven one day. And that is so beautiful. And I want to honor that. And I look them square in the eye and say, I would love for you to pray for me. That's awesome. But please pray for... X, Y, and Z, totally unrelated to my stroke because this body is not all there is. Sure. And me walking in is not all there is. So sweet friend, you want to pray for me? Pray for my marriage, pray for my children, <laughs> pray for my gossipy tongue, my heart that turns away from God, my, mm. my fill in the blank, like you can pray for me, but don't limit it to merely my body. I'm so much more than my body. There's a soul inside of me and don't miss that.
2: I love that. I think so much of um, our interactions with people, especially in the context of faith, I mean, you know, we can hurt each other so much more deeply when we think like this fellow believer, this person, I think I'm on the same page as is is coming at me in such a different direction than I would have hoped, you know, and that can be so painful. But I think Jesus's life and ministry and work is about this third way often. Mm -hmm. You know, we think it's it's either this way or this way. And he's like, no, no, it's this way. It's just, it's very... subversive and it's very subtle. And I think we get to offer that to each other. It's not just, I'm going to react either with letting you, effectively what I I see as a caregiver, I'm just like, I I love your heart. When you want to say that we receive that we're open to whatever God wants to do through any of us. But like what you're doing is you're taking away this woman's agency because she has already declared over herself through the power of the spirit. She is healed. And you're saying, actually you're not, Hmm. and I'm going to help you. I don't even know you, but I've come to help you. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I take a little, uh, as a caregiver, I sort of uh, bristle a little bit at that, but also want to receive what God has for me in this moment, because our ministry is not just two people with disabilities. It's two people who help support our ministry. It's two people who think they have no disabilities. It's the people who are wanting to pray for the healing. It's, you know, I think it's just, it's 360, like the ministry God gives us all, you know, if we have eyes to see it that way. And so I just think, what is the third way? In this moment, like my flesh wants to tell you a little something else because I'm
1: <laughs> an attorney
2: by training, I'm an Enneagram <laughs> eight challenger, I'm a caregiver of this woman I give my life to, and you're gonna come up and really, you know, make things unsettled. And yet I'm gonna say, maybe there's a third way, like, yeah, we receive that prayer. But if we think what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is universal, then why don't you enter into this unseen place with us? And we receive that with such gratitude that you would offer that, you know, those petitions and those prayers for us. And so let's do that together. And then we'll pray for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for embracing the journey and allowing God to use you so powerfully. I know that I have a a strong sense that not many people are going to come to know Jesus uh, listening to people talk about winning the lottery and how their kids got into Harvard and how they're uh, they sold their home and made a triple profit, and mm-hmm. and one miraculously became available in the neighborhood they wanted to live in that same day, and how they got into Bitcoin early. And, you know, that's not how people are going to come to know the mm-hmm. story of Jesus. I think they're going to come through seeing people that are struggling like them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and have found an overcoming, overwhelming source that changes things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you yeah. embody that literally
2: yeah. and
0: yeah. spiritually mm. and so. with joy and a sense of humor <laughs> and with boldness. And Shelley and I love you. Couldn't be happier to be your friends. And I know you miss LA, mm. but we're so glad you're in mm. Atlanta. We oh are so glad we you're love in the here sphere so much. of Passion City Church. So oh, thanks for coming on church. today. And if people don't Anytime. know... Uh, suffer strong is not just for people going through physical disabilities mm-hmm. or families going through trauma. This is a book for every human being
2: mm.
0: on planet earth to learn how to make it yeah. until we do get to that beach that you're talking mm-hmm. about where we're right. all That's completely, right. totally free and healed. So thank you guys
2: so much. I appreciate Absolutely. you and love you. Oh, thank I love you, you Louis. Louis. Thanks so much. <laughs>
0: Wow, I love those guys so much. And I just feel honored every time I'm in a conversation with them. They're they're living miracles. I mean, Catherine Wolf is a living miracle. Their marriage, their family, their story, it is a miracle story. And I know you feel that same way today. And I feel like another miracle has happened today. We've made it to the end of season one of the Passion and Purpose podcast. It really honestly feels like a blink of an eye. And I want to thank my team Um, They have been the champions of this podcast and they've worked so hard to make it a possibility. Anna, Jake, Macy are in the room right now with me. These guys are just all stars. And uh, Zach and his team who have done a lot of the heavy lifting to make this part of it work out. And I just show up and get to talk to amazing people. And I'm so grateful to be on a team like this and really, really loved season one. And of course, we were already getting you know, questions, are we doing season two, is the next season coming? Who's gonna be on? So for all those answers, you'll just have to stay tuned. And we hope to be back with you soon, but you never know. So I would say the chances are good at this point, but stick around, stay tuned. We'll have more info for you sometime in the near future. But I just wanna thank you. Thanks for leaning in. I know your time's valuable. I know you're making a choice to be on this journey with us and it means a lot to us. I know you've been encouraged because the quality of these voices that we've been able to hear and the power of the stories have been so incredible. And so thank you to every single person who lent your time and your influence so generously to being on season one. I'm grateful for all of you. And I look forward to seeing you potentially somewhere down the road on the Passion and Purpose podcast. Until then, God put something in you, something special in you. Let Him refine it and hone it and sharpen it so that you can use it for what matters most. Look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.